I always get a bit nervous and excited before I come up to preach. I always remind myself that nothing really is going to happen unless God intervenes and works. But especially when you come to a topic like this, I find myself feeling more and more desperate depending upon the Holy Spirit. Because how do you talk to your children about sex? It's the reason I've entitled the message today, Parental Guidance Required. And if you're not a, a parent with children at home, you're a grandparent probably. And if you don't have grandchildren, you've got nieces and nephews. And if you don't have nieces and nephews, there are children that you're going to have influence in their life. And so I, I think this message is more important than ever before. Sometimes when I'm talking with students, I ask them, who first told you about sex? I have not yet had one tell me, my mother and dad. What I hear from them is somebody told them something at school, somebody showed them something on a smartphone. One boy refused, one little seventh grade boy, refused to look at porn. And <clears throat> the question is, classmates ask him, why? He says, it's sin. His parents, at least, and his church had taught him it's sin. And they said, well, how are you going to know how to have sex if you don't watch porn? And we live in such a different culture and such a different society than we did even 20 years ago, which is not that far away. And it can make you really, really nervous. Becky and I made a decision early on when... Our first son was just an infant. We wanted to be the first one they came to and talked to. And so we decided it would always be good to be open. One of the things that we heard Dr. Dobson teach, Dr. James Dobson, and then I had an opportunity to talk to Dr. Jim Dobbins out of Emerge in Akron, Ohio. And he's taught us, he says, listen, only answer what they're asking. And so we always kept that in mind. I want you, I want our church, I want us to understand that God has caused the boundary lines to fall for us in pleasant places. And that when you were born again, you were born into a brand new life that is expansive, that is wide and it's deep and it's high. Paul one time describes it like this. He says, nobody knows just how high and how deep, how wide and how long the love of God is. You were born into this life. But the enemy will always try to constrict that life. He can't change the boundary. He knows that. He can't change the boundary. But he will try to poach inside those boundaries. He will try to send terrorists inside those boundary lines for you. I did this in our home that we live in on Sylvan Avenue. Periodically, I still do this. I just walk right around my home, right around my yard, and I say, Lord, you've caused the boundary lines to fall for us in pleasant places. There are times in the year when it's dry in the back, 
I walk, I don't tell anybody, but I just walk all around this property, back through those woods, all the way back to the drainage ditch, the power lines, and all the way up the front and all the way across. And if you were to see me, you'd think, well, he's just praying. Well, I am praying, but I'm claiming and saying, Lord, you've caused the boundary lines to fall for us in pleasant places. And no enemy is going to gain a foothold in these boundary lines. And if there is a poacher or a terrorist, we're going to apprehend them in the name of Jesus and cast them out, cast them off. Can you say amen to that? And I, I think that's the same thing we have to look at as families. God calls the boundary lines. And so when I think about that, the sexual boundary lines have also fallen for us in pleasant places. And so what I'd like to do is just talk to you this morning as parents. The next service will be just a little bit different um, because I have a fifth point. If we have time, we're going to get to. But if you're curious and you're, you know, I see Jack and Julia here and I see some other young folks. If you're curious, the fifth point is for you. You come talk to me after the service and I'll quickly go over my fifth point with you because it has to do with dating. And um, so I want you to, to pray with me this morning. I want you to agree with God with me this morning. So if you would, stand one more time out of respect for the word of the Lord. My son Lemuel, you were born in answer to my prayers. Now this is a mama's prayer. She's the other woman in Proverbs 31 that not many people talk about. She says, Lemuel, you were born in answer to my prayers. So listen carefully. Don't waste your life chasing after women. If it had been a, a, a daughter, she'd have said, don't waste your life chasing after men. She's not, it's not a put down on men or women. It's just, she's talking about sexual promiscuity here. This has ruined many kings. Kings and leaders should not get drunk or even want to drink. Drinking makes you forget your responsibilities and causes you to mistreat the poor. What is she saying? She's saying, Lemuel, you were born in answer to my prayers, and you're going to be successful. And when power and opportunity present themselves to you, you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to use the power and the opportunities that God gives you for his glory and for his honor. Now, there's more to this prayer that you can read later, but she uses two examples. She uses sex and she uses alcohol. And those two kind of go together a lot in our sexually permissive society. <clears throat> she says, Lemuel, chasing after other women, she says, you're only serving yourself. You're only serving your ego. You're only trying to, you're seeing women as an object to satisfy your desires. Same thing could be said to a woman. And she says, Lemuel, when you drink, again, you're only satisfying yourself. And she says, when you drink, you run the risk of abusing the poor. You run the risk of abusing those 
that you're responsible for as a leader. I have a responsibility as a leader, not only to you, but to the babies in the nursery. I have a responsibility to the community that we live in. I, I have a responsibility to every other pastor in our community. And alcohol, she says, makes you forget that. It was Ella, the king of Israel, who got drunk. And in his drunkenness, he was assassinated. And when I read these words, they kind of stir something up in me that's not negative, but stir something up in me aspirational. She says, use the power and the opportunity that is given to you responsibly to serve God and to bless others. So that every male and female relationship I have, Angie, every male to male relationship that I have, I want it to glorify God. And everything I do in private, I want to walk out with a clean conscience and not a face or a mask, but a, a clean conscience so that I can live my life with authenticity. And that's what she's saying to her son here. And so now, I just want you to pray with me and agree with me right now that God is going to do something revolutionary in our lives and in our hearts today. Jesus, revolutionary means that we turn up, we ask you to turn upside down the nervousness, the shyness, the awkwardness, Lord, the denial, God, that our children are even thinking about sex. Lord, by the time they're seven or eight years old, children in our society today, they've already been exposed to so many sexual images and they ask questions about things that, Lord, I was an adult and in ministry before I had ever even heard about those kind of things. I was working in mental health before I heard those kind of things, Lord. God, help us to realize we may have been like that proverbial frog in a pot of boiling water. You know, as the heat got warmer and warmer, we just didn't realize how hot it was getting around us until we die. So I'm asking you to awaken us, O oh Lord, with faith and with hope and with courage to address this time we live in. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Grab your pen, and I want you to get started with me this morning. Well, the first thing I want to say to you this morning is that you and I should never be afraid to discuss what God created. Amen? We should never, that was a weak amen. I thank you, Heinz, for one person that said amen. You and I should never be afraid to discuss what God created. That is much better. You know, little boy came to his daddy, and he says, Daddy, where did I come from? And all of a sudden, his heart started beating fast, his palms got sweaty, but he was prepared. And so he sat his son down and he pulled out the charts and the diagrams he had made for just this time. And he began a 45-minute dialogue telling his son about where he came from. And the little boy looked at him and with big eyes, and finally when his daddy got done, his daddy kind of said smugly, he says, well, son, do you have any more questions? He goes, well, yes, or just one. He says, 
Jimmy's down the street said they came from Kentucky. I just want to know where I came from. (laughs) You know, it just shows the wisdom of what we were taught when we were young parents. Only answer what they're asking, but never, never be afraid to discuss what God created. The Bible says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Sex was God's idea, and it's a good idea. Can you say amen? Amen. That again was weak. Let me say it again. It's all right to say that in church. Sex was God's idea, and it was a good idea. I got more women, amen, and then I did men there. So now I know who my target is this morning. The thing you need to know about sex is sex was God's antidote to loneliness. Sex was God's antidote to loneliness. We had a possum in our backyard this week. And I just got curious because we see a lot of possums down south, but I just don't see that many of them up here. So I looked it up, and, and uh, while I was reading about the possums, and I thought I knew a lot about them, but I did not know that uh, possums are caught and captured because their, bloods have certain, their blood has certain properties that make great antidotes to poisons and to snake venom and stuff like that. And uh, that may be the reason there's so many of them down south. They're just impervious to the bites of a moccasin or a rattlesnake. But I thought about that word antidote, and then I realized, boy, I just got another point from my message this morning. So a long message became just a little bit longer, and that is that Sex is God's antidote for loneliness. Look at this. The Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. And when Adam had discovered that it was not good about him being alone, and God looked at him, God created a woman and brought to him. And Adam didn't look at her and go, wow, Lord, she's anatomically different than me. He didn't go, wow, Lord, she, she kind of looks like me. Wow, Lord, she's a biped like me. She stands on two feet. He just looked at her and went, whoa, man, God, you did good. And, and God brought them together, and God was the first teacher about what sexuality was all about. So there's some things that I see from the Scripture I'd like you to know this morning. First of all, sex points to the intimacy with God where you find fulfillment. Sex points to intimacy with God where you find fulfillment. I remember when Dr. Jack Sharp, a professor at at where I went to college at, spoke to all of us students, and this is one of the advantages of going to a Christian college is when you hear from these professors. And he said to us, he says, gentlemen, ladies, he says, when you get married, don't be afraid of this, don't be ashamed of this, but rejoice in this, that God takes pleasure in your sexuality. God takes pleasure and you're enjoying your married love together. And I remember one girl kind of shyly put up her hand and says, I don't think I could ever enjoy sex if God was watching. And he said to her, honey, God is always watching you and delighting in everything that you do. Listen to me this morning. You find fulfillment in God Because when you come to him and you desire him and you long for him, like Psalm 63 says, Lord, in a dry and weary land, I thirst for you, I long for you. Jesus says, you'll know you love me if you keep my commandments. You see, you can keep the commandments of God without loving him. You can 
go through your checkbox legalistically. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't go with girls that do, I don't do those things. You can feel very self-righteous about yourself going through your checkmark. Jesus wasn't saying about keeping the law. He says, if you love me, if you want me, you'll find me doing these things and worship is this longing, this intimacy, this deep desire for God. And when you and I, in our marriages, we come together and we enjoy that intimacy, it points us closer to God. It's what Paul was writing about in Ephesians chapter five. But sex misuse leads you away from God where you discover loneliness. And that's the reason that there are so many multiple marriages and multiple divorces and so many broken hearts and why today people just consider sex and the wider culture at large. Sex is just a biological urge. It is more than a biological urge and without God and without sex being in the the parameters that God puts it in, then it leads to loneliness and it leads to broken hearts. You see, marriage is the most intimate and the naked of all relationships. When you stop and think about marriage, my marriage to Becky among human beings is it's the most intimate, it's the most naked of all of my relationships. I'm naked spiritually before Becky because Becky knows me like no one else does. And I'll tell you one of the great delights, we, 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 we mourned and yet we grieved with hope the death of Billy Graham this last week. And if you saw the funeral, what a powerful testimony. I, I watched the funeral twice because it was so powerful. And I told Becky last night when we came home from a wonderful prayer meeting, I said, I know this sounds macabre, but I want to watch that funeral again because the word that was preached and the songs that were sang and the testimonies about his life. I said, Becky, I want us to leave that kind of testimony that Ruth and Billy Graham left in our sphere of influence. And you see, when you read Ruth Graham's books, she writes more from a personal family level, and Billy wrote more from an evangelistic and theological level, but Billy, Ruth lets you see inside their home the disagreements and their arguments. Somebody asked her one time, says, have you ever thought about divorce, Mrs. Graham? She says, divorce, never. Murder, yes. You see, you're very naked in these marriage relationships. Becky knows me spiritually. Your family knows you spiritually. Becky knows me emotionally. She, she knows when I'm up and she knows when I'm down. She knows those little trees. There's no hiding that from Becky. There's no hiding that from your wife or husband, and yet she knows me physically as well. And what I have learned from that is that when I am totally vulnerable, Becky still loves me anyway. And what that has taught me about God is I don't have to try to cover my sins. I don't have to try to hide my sins, but when I sin, I run to the cross, I don't run from the cross, and I find grace, and I find out that no matter what I've done or what I do, I'm still loved by God. And you see, that's what sexuality and marriage teach us about our worship with God. The third thing I want to say to you this morning is, we all got here because somebody had sex. You know? We all got here because somebody had sex. I was reading by a psychologist, talking to a Christian psychologist, and she was writing in her book, and I highlighted this story. She says, when I was a little girl, she says, my mother and father were teaching my sisters and I about marriage and sexual intimacy, and 
Later, I asked my mother, I says, well, how does sex happen? And when my mother explained it to me, I went, that's gross. And then she says, y'all did that four times? And then her mother went on to explain that, no, they did it more often than that, but it's how they got there. It's how God intended for us to reproduce. It's how God intended to bring people into the world. Adam made love to his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant, the scripture says in Genesis chapter four and verse one. And then the fourth thing why I'd really like to pitch a tent and camp for a little while this morning because you know all the things I just told you, but... You see, every single parent, every single one of us, we are teaching our children about sex. Every single one of us. We're teaching them by what we say or by what we don't say. We're teaching them about sex by how we react to our wives or you react to your husband. And you see, that's why it's so important that we understand the comments that I tried to make to you this morning that the boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places, that these boundary lines for us as a church, for our families, our community, they've fallen for us. God has given us an expansive place to live in. There's no limit to the height, the depth, the width, or the length of God's love. And what the enemy would like to come in and do is constrict that and strangle the life out of that and to send poachers through the internet or poachers through seductresses or poachers through, through, through people who come in to try to sabotage our marriage or poachers through relationships in our marriage where we're, we stop talking, we stop communicating, we stop being one and the enemy tries to choke out the love of our marriage and how we love and communicate and talk to one another. We're teaching our children not just by what we say to them in a quote talk it's why if you watch the video that we posted on Facebook that I made this week, it's why we have got to get beyond having the talk to having discipleship. Because these days that we live in, if we just wait to a certain age to have a talk, we've already fallen way behind in the game. And so it's why we do believe in that same context and I just see it as the supernatural wisdom of God in Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about the intimacy of marriage and marriage being somehow or another a symbol, being pointing to what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. He follows that up right away by teaching us how to do spiritual warfare. And if we're going to teach our children about sex, we need to realize that the enemy of of our soul, Satan himself realizes how powerful love is, realizes how powerful sexual attraction is, and realizes that one of the greatest weapons in the arsenal of the family of God is when a man and a woman love each other in a Christian marriage, and they're happy in one another, and they're satisfied in one another, that that communicates more powerfully to their children. It's why he tries to sabotage our marriages. It's why we must stay on our knees in prayer, not only fighting for our marriages, but fighting for the sexual purity of our kids in prayer. And if you think you can win this battle because you're smart, if you think you can win this battle because you've got your charts and diagrams, or if you think you can win this battle because somehow or another your family is different, you have already had a saboteur enter the pleasant places of those boundary lines that God has drawn for you. We must pray, church. We must pray. We have to seek God for our families. 
When our kids reached adolescence, when <laughs> Drew reached adolescence and Christopher right behind him, I remember saying to Becky, honey, hang on. It's going to be a bumpy ride. And it's not their fault. It's just what adolescence does to us. So here's some things that I wanted our children to know. I wanted our boys and our daughter to feel free to come talk to us about anything. I wanted to know, we know a lot about sex. I wanted to know, we know a lot about it. As a matter of fact, I wanted them to know we know more about it than your classmates down at Woodhaven High School or your classmates down the street at the school on Hall Avenue. We wanted our kids to feel free to come and, and we told them, ask, I can remember long before we ever moved up here, as we talked to our children, you come ask us anything. Don't ever be ashamed. We won't be ashamed. We won't be embarrassed. I remember taking Andrew out in the canoe and when he was probably about eight, nine years old, taking him out and we had a very intimate conversation about sex and what was going to be happening and boy, Andrew was full of all kinds, you just have to know my sons, all kind of logical questions and he wanted to know about reproduction, how it was done, he was asking technical questions, it was like reading the mail book, health clinic book, you know, talking to Andrew. Christopher was all emotional and he was smiling. He was asking different kinds of questions. And when we got done talking and we're about to paddle the canoe back in, he crawls down the beam of the canoe, throws his arms around me, says, Daddy, this was the best day of my life ever. You know, so much different. But those two rascals, as they got to be older, boy, were they mean to Benjamin. They would say to Ben, beware when Daddy asks you to go for a canoe ride. So one day when I invited Ben, he goes, no, Dad, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. <laughs> you look back with all of those memories that are joyful, and we talk about them now that they're grown and they're adults. I don't want them going to the Internet. I don't want them going to their friends at school who don't know anything. We wanted to give them not only a spiritually healthy IQ, but we wanted to give them an emotionally healthy IQ. But we also didn't want our children to be self-righteous. Do you understand what I'm saying? Remember, you can check the boxes. And I didn't realize how important that was because before we moved up here, the homosexual movement was big and we taught our children never to look down on homosexuals. We taught them, says, God loves them, we love them. You know, it's not a right lifestyle, it's not a godly lifestyle, but we taught them that as children, don't look down upon them. Don't think yourselves better because then we make the sin that the publican made. And then the transgender movement, if you teach your children that, you know, we, we've got it all together, we're right, we're, we're this. If you get a self-righteous attitude and you teach your children that and then they go to school and now our, our schools have so many kids that are not only gay, but they have so many kids that are transgender, then your kids look at them not with love and not praying for them as friends. And then something happens, and listen to me, I've already discovered this talking to your children in our church, and they are my kids as their pastor. There's not a kid in this church that I don't have, not a kid, not a person in this church that I don't have a responsibility before God for. They're your children, they're not my children, but they are my children in faith. And when kids have told me, he says, Pastor, some of these are really nice people. 
Some of my trans, they're really nice. Or my gay friends, they're really nice. And if you teach them, you know, that somehow or another, they're less than made in the image of God, you can teach that sin is sin without running people down. Everybody is loved by God. Can you say amen to that? And so that's why we wanted them having these conversations with us. The Bible says, and Pastor Corey read some of this to you this morning, but look at Deuteronomy 6 again. You must commit yourself. Dennis, to replace to you with your name, Dennis, you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands. I, I'm committed to the Word of God. I believe the Word of God. I loved what that uh, Lebanese pastor said about Billy Graham. Billy Graham loved the Bible, and the Bible governed how he lived. What a powerful testimony. I love the Bible. Commit yourself to these words and repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, on the road, going to bed and getting up. What are you doing when you, when you obey this? When you look at that scripture, what are you doing at home, on the road, on the bed? And get, what are you doing? You're teaching them how to manage their mind. You're teaching them how to manage their thoughts. You're teaching them how to manage their emotions. Because how you think directly affects how you feel. And how you feel directly affects how you live. And so if you can get your thinking right by managing your thought life, if you can get your feelings right by having healthy biblical thoughts about God, about sex, about yourself, then you can manage your feelings. And then when they go into a classroom, you go in, you have children that you send to school who are not peer-directed, but they are inner-directed because they've hidden the Word of God in their hearts. Will somebody give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? The first step towards sinful behavior is accepting and fantasizing about sinful thoughts because the pleasure that you get from thinking upon those things or the distraction you get is why it's so important that we manage our emotions. Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, speaking of the anointing that was upon John the Baptist. He will teach, and that anointing was the spirit of Elijah. And Elijah was the prophet that says, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest I smite the land with a curse, God said in Malachi. He will teach parents how to love their children. He will also teach people who don't obey to be wise and do what is right. In this way, he will prepare a people who are ready for the Lord. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means love your children unconditionally. Love your children unconditionally. Secondly, it means as early as age as possible, start teaching your children to obey. You know when they're little, you say when, you know when they're very little and they're toddlers and they get close to those, go, don't touch, it's hot. And how many times has a child wanted to touch anyway? And they suffered the consequences, but once they suffered, if they didn't listen to your word and they suffered the consequences, they didn't touch the stove again, Right? So so as early as possible, you start teaching your children to obey. You say, Pastor, why are you bringing that up? Because irresponsible behavior in teenagers leads to hypersexual activity. That we know. Children who don't know how to obey and discipline themselves, it leads them right into hypersexual activity. When they ask a question, sit down. 
If they challenge your questions, if they challenge your answers as a teenager, just simply say, let's talk about this for a moment. Who is smarter, you and me or God? Who is smarter, your teacher or God? Who is smarter, those actors and actresses on TVs that can't even get their lives together? Who is smarter? Just because somebody champions water rights or somebody champions ecological rights or somebody digs a well doesn't mean they're an expert on human relationships and how to live successfully and happily as a human being. Some people do those things in order just to get credibility. I've got a gift in my house. It's called a fireplace. And I love in cold weather being able to come home and build a fire. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> sometimes Becky will say, honey, will you build me a fire? And I, I, I love to just get up and do it. But if, if I misuse that fireplace, I'm going to burn the house down. But if I use that fireplace correctly, it's going to warm. It's going to be, it's going to be attractive to look at. We're going to enjoy it. And that's how we teach our children about sex. I would teach my kids, you've got a passion button. You've got a passion button. There are certain things that Becky can do that pushes my button. And I got to tell you, I told you this two messages ago. Men are microwaves, according to Irma Bombeck, and women are crockpots. You know, a man's passion button is pushed just when he's in the geographical proximity of his wife. And so you, it's one of the things you have to understand about what we're doing. So you've got to know what, you, you gotta, what pushes your passion button. I mean, you've got to teach them about what a kiss does, what happens when, when two people kiss, what holding hands do, what, you know, walking around in school and that accidental brush or that accidental bump when two young people bump into each other. Look at what the Song of Solomon says in chapter 8 and verse 4. Don't excite love and don't stir it up until the time is ripe and you're ready. What's he saying? Don't push that button. Hello? Don't push the button. <laughs> because if you push the button, exciting things are going to happen. But if you wait till marriage to push that button, it will be wonderful. <laughs> Amen? Teach them how to draw. I've talked a lot about boundary lines. Draw the boundary line. Let me break down a verse for you with three points from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. So draw the boundary lines. What is it that stimulates you, son? You know, do you need help? Do we need to put a cell phone blocker? Do we need to put something on your phone? Honey, what is it that stimulates? Who are the people? What are the things that you see? The movies you watch? Where do you draw the boundary lines? How do you go out? Where do you go on a date? You know, where do you draw the boundary? Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Can I tell you something? Timothy was in his 40s when Paul wrote this to him and called him a young man. So that means in my 60s, I'm a middle-aged man, not an old man, as one of our kids here at the church told me recently. I am a middle-aged man. Listen to me. If he had to be told in his 40s, Timothy, run from youthful lust, I got to tell you, you and I need to listen to this as well. Hello? Second thing, commit yourself to sexual purity. Commit yourself Make a decision. 
let us know. If you need to write out a covenant with your children, I'll give you some suggested covenants that I've read over the years, but it has been demonstrated. Planned Parenthood and other places and Democrats have tried to run those things down. I listened to the Democrats in one of their meetings running this down because they wanted to provide abortion on demand. A letter that I recently read from a woman who wrote to Planned Parenthood Dear Planned Parenthood, you gave me my first contraception. Dear Planned Parenthood, you paid for my first abortion. Dear Planned Parenthood, you showed me the doctor to go to when I got an STD. I've been through four marriages. I don't have the ability to have children anymore. Thank you for being there when I needed you. Do you get the sarcasm? Run from anything that stimulates you full lust. There is an enemy. There is a saboteur. There is someone trying to invade the boundary lines. We have to teach our children how to respect the boundary lines and draw those and then commit themselves to sexual purity. And then third thing, teach your kids to stay close to God and godly friends. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. And would to God that our kids would learn how to say to one another in their small groups, hold me accountable. Can I call you when things get stuck? Can I call you when I'm threatened to push the passion button or somebody is threatening to push the passion button? I choose as my friends, Psalms 119 and verse 63, I choose as my friends who worship you and follow your teachings. As I get ready to close and we get ready to take our offering this morning, what you're doing is you're teaching your children how to choose. You're teaching your children how to make godly choices. You're giving them a vision for the future. Don't be afraid to tell them, not only is sex a gift from God, but when you get married, God is glorified when you have sex and lots and lots and lots of it. Don't, thank you. Man, the women are really with me this morning. He's glorified. Tell your children that. They need to hear that from you. By the time your child reaches 13 years old, he will have bombarded not with a million, but millions and millions of millions of sexual messages. Somebody's going to shape your children if you don't. Somebody's going to have that conversation with your children if you don't. Somebody's going to have that conversation with your niece or your nephew. You teach them that temptation is not wrong. I mean, you just want to say, no, it's not wrong to be tempted. I'm not going to ask for it. But if I was to ask you this morning, have you been tempted to lust this week? Every hand in this building would go up. And if you didn't, you're a liar. Because that's the world that we live in. That's the stimulation of the billboards, the media messages, the stores, the people, the culture that we live in. We live in a sexually obsessed society. And in a society right now that is obsessed with things that the Bible calls perversion. Not because God doesn't love people, it's because he does love them. But you're also teaching your children, you have the power to say no, but if you don't say no, a man or a woman of honor and integrity, a man or a woman of faith will say no. 
there are those times when I'm tempted and I just, I realize the temptation's not wrong. But saying no is one of the most positive, self-affirming things that is glorifying to God that I can do. And saying yes to the right thing reinforces that and rewards that. But you also want to teach your children because I've prayed with them and I've talked with them that if you do fail, if you do sin, God can make you pure and God can make you free again. You want them to know that. You don't want them to live with condemnation. You don't want them to live feeling like they're second class. If your son or your daughter gave away the virginity that God gave them as a gift to give to their spouse, you don't want them walking away feeling like, I'm second class, I'm less than best. You don't want that kind of condemnation on them. And you don't want to condemn them. Instead, you want to get on your knees and weep with them and mourn with them when they realize the price that they have paid for the gift they could have gave. You want them to get that grief out of their system. Because if they get that grief out of their system, then the enemy will not be able to establish guilt there. And you want them to know God can make them pure and free again. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins to God, He will keep His promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us. Say that with me. Purify us. Say it again. Purify us. Say it again. Purify us from all our wrongdoing. I had a mother look at me and say, I can never forgive my daughter. I can never tell a young man that she's worth marrying. I let her vent and get anger. I read her this verse. She still was angry. And finally I looked at her and I says, Dear sister, you are a liar. You are a liar. You are speaking the words of Lucifer himself to your own heart and to your own soul. And you're sending your daughter to an early grave because you choose to be angry. And unless you repent, your daughter will make heaven long before you do. It's time for the church to recognize the power of the blood of Jesus. It's time for the church to recognize the power of the cross. We serve a God who is able to undo every wrong that has been done and present to himself a bride without spot or wrinkle from all of us in Jesus' name. Stand with me this morning and let me pray with you. I love you, O Lord, my God, my soul, and my strength. I thank you, Lord, for you have been merciful to me. You have cleansed and washed away 
my sin. May that be my message to every student, to every adult, to every human being, Lord. That God, in his infinite mercy and love, cleanses us and makes us free. There is a generation of your children that are coming, Lord. They are going to penetrate this darkness. Daniel prophesied about them. They will be strong and they will do great and mighty exploits because they know God. Help us as parents to commit, Lord, to raising that generation up in the name of Jesus. And now as we bring our tithes and our offerings, I ask that you be glorified as we cheerfully give, not because we have to, but we love you, Lord, and we give from joyful hearts. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you as you give this morning.